Kick the jukebox, it's so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the jukebox, kicking a rhyme. Talking about music all the time. Oh yeah! Hello and welcome to another episode of Kick the Jukebox. I'm Louie Perlman. And I'm Kyle Gordon. Oh, that was... <laughs> I know. Usually Ooh. every week I really go up almost falsetto, so I tried to change it up this week. I know. Normally my impression of you would be, and I'm Kyle Gordon! Yeah, so. exactly. I thought I'd uh, throw him off with that one. That was a, that was a, great, uh, that was a great change. Uh, really yeah, fresh. Curveball. Keeping curve it funky ball. fresh, Kyle. Mm-hmm. So we are joined today... Uh, by a wonderful singer-songwriter, a dear friend of mine, a former roommate of mine, a creative <laughs> collaborator of mine. Uh, her name is Joe Kroger. Welcome, Joe Kroger. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here um, and see the update from last week's facial hair situation. <laughs> the chops are coming back in nicely. Kyle, you look nothing like what I imagined uh, was happening facial hair-wise. So it, I'm, it, I'm I'm glad to be able to give the people the update they want. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're trying to maintain a sense of normalcy in our uh, slow-moving existential existence <laughs> through, um, through uh, our facial hair going back to normal. Yeah, people were on the edges of, edge of their seat waiting to hear the next chapter in the facial hair saga. So. so much so that a very, really a lovely listener who gave us feedback on the last episode recommended we edit out the facial hair discussion. <laughs> oh, no, but we decided well. to double down. Yeah, so we're doubling down. It's going to be half I'm an sorry, hour. I'm sorry, listener. I clearly <laughs> had the opposite instincts from you. Uh. <laughs> so Joe is a singer-songwriter who primarily releases music under her own name, Joe Kroger. Uh, and I would describe what you do, modern folk, vocally driven, uh, really sharp lyric writing, I would say on your part, Joe, and, and very observant and emotional. Uh, that's sort of how I would describe your work. Um, and then Joe also is part of a really beautiful songwriting duo that's called Caves and Clouds and is also a member of Dalton Deshane and the Traveling Show, uh, which is sort of a very, actually very Oingo Boingo inspired kind of- Yeah, let's let's tie into last week a little more. Yeah, (laughs) totally. So uh, yeah, so check Joe out at joekroger.com. That's K-R-O-G-E-R. And you can also check her out at Joe Kroger uh, on Twitter. All the places. uh, On Instagram, all the social media places. Uh, please, yeah, and, and we're really happy to have you on. Uh, I'm to, so happy to be here. Yeah, to talk about to talk about Fountains of Wayne. It's going to be really cool. So, yeah. before we get into all the stuff we're going to be talking about with Fountains of Wayne today, uh, any music that we've been listening to lately that has sort of been getting us through these like strange quarantine times? Yeah, I mean, uh, I will start. So, um, I. I'm a big fan of kind of um, the Nina Simone album, Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's mm-hmm. sort of her later, uh, later period stuff, like late seventies when she was uh, in Europe and kind of miserable and like pulling guns on people. Um, and, uh, but then apparently I had never heard of this album, but they just released the follow up to that called fodder on my wings. And then pitchfork gave it a, big review the reissue so i listened to it and it's really really good um kind of like world music the first song is really amazing i i sing just to know that i'm alive 
and uh, kind of Calypso uh, inspired. So really cool. Um, apparently, like they uh, when they originally pressed it, they barely like pressed hardly any copies. So this reissue is like the first time a lot of people are hearing it, including myself. So definitely highly recommend. Um, and uh, yeah, she's not as uh, I love Baltimore, even though apparently she hated recording every second of that album. But uh, on this one, she had more control. And I think that's a little more fun. With it. Very cool. Absolutely. That's, that's yeah, that's I a good recommendation. And she's to. so she's so soothing and, and uh, so emotive. Right, her whole work, I I could see that being really great to listen to right now. But, but she can also be a little aggressive when you get like angry and want to like jump out the window. So yeah, uh, totally. Kind of channel a, a little bit bit of that through her as well. Yeah, the cycle that we're going through literally every hour yeah. of our lives yes, right now. Yes, yes, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. What, what about you, Joe? Um, well, of course, you know uh, it is. It has been a, a tragic chunk of time, um, and so one of the main things that I've been doing this week has been revisiting some of the people that we've lost. Um, We lost some giants, one of which we will talk about very specifically this week. And you touched on last week, which is Adam Schlesinger. Schlesinger. I would say Schlesinger because Schlesinger is just a a mouthful. Um, But, but losing him was hit me real hard. And so I've been listening to a lot of fountains of Wayne, obviously, and some of his other projects. Uh, but we also lost Bill Withers this mm, week. Yeah. Uh, we also lost John Prine, yep. mm-hmm. who who is a giant, and some other people. So that was one thing, was kind of coping with it uh, through revisiting and enjoying. Um, and then another way that I'm sort of musically traversing this journey is uh, doing some sort of song challenges. I have some friends who will we will make compilation albums uh, they're not good. They're just for ourselves. <laughs> and, you know, everybody will do a Madonna song or everybody will do a, um, you know, a Prince song or something. And so uh, we recently did a, a TV themes mm-hmm. uh, album and I did the Dandy Warhol's song. We used to be friends, the theme song from Veronica Mars. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Which is just a great track. Um, and so I spent a lot of time listening to that and uh, enjoying it thoroughly. But like the whole album, just revisiting Danny Warhol's was really fun. And the next one we're doing is Depeche Mode. So I've been listening to a little Depeche Mode too. That's awesome. Um, and then finally, my partner in this house is uh, working in radio and turned me on to Smoke Dizza. So that is... Hmm. Smoke Dizza has been uh, blaring in my headphones. <laughs> very, very cool. Yeah. Love it. Huh. Uh, I've been listening to this artist, Jeff Rosenstock. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is definitely the week that I really discovered him properly. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, uh, Long Island punk kid, (laughs) basically, uh, who now is, you know, in his late 30s and is apparently doing a lot of film and TV work, but his songwriting is like, super bold and brash and uh, messy, uh, but also like really grandiose and clearly influenced by punk uh, and influenced by um, also like, I'd say there's a lot of Springsteen in there, sort of a lot of like big great American songbook writers in there. Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah, so uh, I would say that he's definitely worth listening to right now. And one of the main reasons why he, uh, one, of the main, one of the main reasons why I got into him this week is because he just released a playlist that had a bunch of Fountains of Wayne at the end of it where he mm. paid tribute to Adam, Adam uh, Schlesinger. Jeff Rosenstock, uh, give him a listen. For sure. So yeah. So yeah, and, and so he paid tribute to Adam Adam Schlesinger. We tragically lost him to this coronavirus two weeks ago. Now he was fifty one years old, and it made Kyle and I decide that we wanted to do a deep dive into the Fountains of Wayne album, Welcome Interstate Managers, which is what we're going to be talking about this week. And I, I feel like something's been really interesting about reading tributes to him is that he was so diverse in his uh, body of work that everybody sort of has a different way to approach a tribute to him. Some people might know him for literally the hundreds of songs that he wrote for crazy ex-girlfriend, mm -hmm. uh, a show which was never my cup of tea <laughs> personally, <laughs> but, uh, person, but yeah, but it, yeah, I never fact, even watched it. Yeah, I don't. It's not a real <laughs> Kyle show. It's not yeah, really. Interesting. I knew. I knew this. I, I, I never gave it a chance, so I can't say one way or the other. Yeah, but it is. It is amazing that it. It, it is a, a piece. It's a. It's a musical that is an episodic TV series, and that in itself mm -hmm. is like really quite a feat. Mm -hmm. uh, and he wrote some great songs for that. He also was nominated for an Oscar for writing. Uh, several uh, he, for writing the song that thing you do for the film that thing you do and I just rewatched that movie in tribute to him the other day and I watched for the first time the director's cut which has 40 extra minutes of footage really I've yeah oh I love that movie so much I've it's, never seen that it's it, worth it, it highly recommended it's available as the extended cut on like anywhere where you can rent the film like mm -hmm. via streaming it's not hard to find this director's cut and it kind of to paraphrase my friend griffin who said this on twitter which prompted me to watch it it kind of extends the film and makes it into like a early 60s like american uh kind of saga mm. <laughs> uh it's told through this like very small narrow lens of these like goofy guys in this band um <laughs> so definitely definitely worth watching uh again he also wrote several of the songs for the film josie and the pussycats which an underrated <laughs> goddess classic just a gem of cinema yeah <laughs> but we already knew this about each other louis well yeah i mean it 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 is brilliant, and it's so funny because really for the first 10 years of that film existing, I would get, like, sneers when I would bring it up with people. Same. But now it's, it's being revisited. Uh, I feel for the last few years, it's, 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 there's been this resurgence where it turns out it's just more media that was created for teen girls, which means that it doesn't have any respect within, like, the modern, like, discussion of film and media when it's actually, like, an incredibly smart film you know so yeah yeah i mean you know. first of all don't discount it because it was quote unquote made for teen girls but also it really wasn't it really was a really smart funny you know incisive satire for sure yeah and the song's fucking oh it's just so great <laughs> yeah i mean so Kay hanley kills it in the songwriting there too and uh yeah just knowing that 
Schlesinger was part of it. It's I don't know. It's just perfect to me. And uh, Kenneth Babyface Edmonds, who produced yes. the whole fucking thing. Who's yes? It's a it's a great soundtrack. Look it up. And then Kyle, I know that you mainly were familiar with uh, with Schlesinger through Fountains, or sorry, through Ivy, his mm. project, which I would love for you to to talk about a little bit about what sort of drew you to, to Ivy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I. I had, so I had a friend uh, who we both know who kind of got me into Fountains of Wayne like Mm -hmm. four or five, no, probably three or four years ago. Cause, and it just immediately piqued my interest because I grew up like when Stacy's mom came out, I was in peak bar mitzvah season. Yeah. And (laughs) um, so like, you know, to be, nothing could have piqued my interest more than to be told of all the bands that are actually cool, to be, to be told that Fountains of Wayne is actually really cool. I was like, my mind was blown. Yeah. So that's kind of my entry in. Um, and then I found Ivy separately on some list of like under, uh, the, specifically the album Apartment Life on some list of like underrated albums or something. And um, I really, really loved it and kind of got dove deeper into that album specifically than I did of a lot of uh, Fountains of Wayne. But um, it's especially that album Apartment Life is just really a really cool, um, really cool, like in every sense of the word album. It's kind of like, uh, it's definitely got that late 90s, like European electro chill kind of sound, but it definitely has like, it's like that, but with like, pop Adam Schlesinger type guitars. So it's like, you know, like stereo lab, but like with like big guitars or something. I don't know. It's, it's really, really cool. Definitely recommend that album. Yeah. And for those of you who are into sort of that whole like sophistipop genre, Mm -hmm. it's definitely a really smart attempt at that. And it succeeds. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's sort of a, it's a swing and a hit. Uh, but they they never really found the success that they maybe should have had. But Fountains of Wayne barely found the success either. You know, sort of what's so interesting about Schlesinger's career is that he was so prolific. He was consistently working really from the time he was in his like mid twenties. Right, and that to, to you know, Ivy and Fountains of Wayne were both like you know going concerns at the exact same time. Like totally he was true. fully devoting absolutely. himself to both of these bands. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Which is um, which is really amazing. Crazy. And then and then and neither... touring too. He like toured with both of them. Yeah. He was just <laughs> he was just a, a working musician. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's interesting because neither of those bands ended up really being his his calling card. Uh, you know, as we said, his calling card were different things for different people, but mm-hmm. ultimately. You know, I feel like he'll be most remembered for the song That Thing You Do, which mm-hmm. is an incredible legacy. I would say he'll be remembered for Stacy's mom. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we can get more into that. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's a shame. And I think, you know, Silver Linings, it's a horrible tragedy that he was taken so early. But I think the fact that he was taken early, it, the discussion really isn't about Stacy's mom right now. And I think, I mean, time will tell. I hope he's not remembered for that. But 
Um, I mean, that'll, that'll <laughs> be- In defense of Stacy's mom for a second. <laughs> yeah, there. sure, yeah. I, I think uh, this was like an inevitable conversation, so it's good. Definitely. Sure, and <laughs> none of us are really talking about this. I, I mean, I'm not gonna dive deep into defending Stacy's mom, which is an absolutely ridiculous song, but um, <laughs> but the thing that I will say is like, in defense of it being incredibly memorable, is mm -hmm. it was at the top of the charts when iTunes launched their store. Like yeah, when yeah. iTunes started existing, Stacy mom, Stacy's mom was at the top of the charts. Like that's no small thing to be. Like it was like them, Beyonce, singing, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, to yeah. the left, to the left, or whatever. Yeah. It, it, no, it wasn't that one. I don't. Remember. But it was like Beyonce and Destiny's Child were both on the chart at the same time. I think Dido was on there. Like mm. th these are the things that were on the chart when iTunes premiered and that's a really interesting snapshot in the the um the transition of how we consume music and the mm -hmm. fact that Fountains of Wayne found their success at the moment that our consumption of music was exploding I think mm -hmm. is no small thing and I mm -hmm. and I do feel like it is significant that that you don't hear a lot about Stacy's mom in all of these tributes given the fact that it is easily the song that could classify them as a one-hit wonder yes mm -hmm. but that's not how you hear him or them referred to in this moment and to me i think of stacy's mom because of that as a gateway drug instead of a one-hit wonder totally did and I, that's did I, yeah sorry go ahead oh just that's so many of the bands that we enjoy Mm -hmm. on this show that we talk about. I mean, Devo be, is like yeah. the kings of that. <laughs> yeah, we, they could be looked at as one-hit wonders when their entire catalog is so rich. And, mm -hmm. you know, Oingo Boingo as well, who we just covered. Even bands that maybe had one or two big radio hits like New Order, you know, uh, are considered flash in the pans, quote-unquote 80s bands for some people, but for us, you know, deserve a lot of re-examination. Uh, and, and this band definitely falls into that category. Um, and it is no small feat. And then also, you know, this is just, this is good. This is sort of helps segue us into the story of the band themselves. Here they are, uh, you know, this number one band on iTunes being nominated for a Grammy. All the kids are downloading this, this track. And these are like guys in their, uh, you know, mid thirties, uh, you know, who are these like, power pop geeks like mm -hmm. this is really a feat um and it shows that although i would argue that the song is like fairly comedic it, it also is written from a very human perspective which is what he was all about and it's it's a very uh, sympathetic song to uh, speak to a lot of feelings that maybe aren't spoken to in a lot of pop music. Yeah, which is, yeah, I, yeah. Who will speak for the MILF lovers? Yeah, exactly. Seriously. And, and we forget that the concept of MILF was like brand new, you know? American yeah. Pie had come out like three, four years ago. So like, you know. Yeah. MILF was just beginning to go mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, um, <laughs> This might be a little far-fetched, but let's reclaim our desires and let's create new language for them. And maybe sure. maybe Stacy's mom was an attempt at that. <laughs> so Founds sure. of Wayne, formed in 1995 by Chris Collingwood and Adam Schlesinger. They met at Williams College where they were students. <sighs> they uh, were always pretty arch and pretty cheeky. 
Uh, one of their potential band names was Three Men When Standing Side by Side Have a Wingspan of Over 12 Feet, which is a, stu- <laughs> a stupid name for a band. Oh, God, I love it. <laughs> but they settled on the name Fountains of Wayne based on the name of a fountain store in Wayne, New Jersey, close to where Schlesinger grew up. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, apparently, Appar- Colin would never like the name. <laughs> and apparently that name was suggested to them by uh, Schlesinger's mom. Oh, I did not know that. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, and my understanding is that it's still there. No, it closed unfortunately. Oh, it did. Yeah, oh. it, it closed. I, I, I know I have some a friend uh, several friends who are from around there and one of them was was tweeting about it re- recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be seen in an episode of The Sopranos though. Yes. <laughs> so oh, wow. watch out for that. that I yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So yeah, so they shared co-writing credits 50-50 for all of their songs which I think just sort of shows the generosity of spirit of the two of them. And they didn't want to get into royalty battles, despite the fact that they very rarely wrote together. Uh, Our deep dives into the album, Welcome Interstate Managers, which is our album for for the day, were surprisingly just, I finally found writing credit for them after like a lot of research because it was hard to find. And all three of the songs we chose are indeed Schlesinger songs. But you can kind of tell, I think, lyrically. Bec- and I'll, I don't know. We can kind of get into that. I'm yeah. going to talk about that in, on my song. But you can tell, especially lyrically. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, we'll talk about it for sure. Um, but they wanted to write songs where the band had its own identity. And I would say that the identity of this band, if you want to describe it in one sentence, is big songs about small people. Uh, and I, th- yeah, I, think, I think that's right. I think that's, that's what excellent. they, that, I think that that's what they, um, what they succeeded in the most is painting these wonderful character portraits of people who maybe didn't have songs written about them a lot, which I think is actually really similar to uh, John Prine as well. Mm. Uh, I think it's why we're feeling their losses so acutely right now is that they painted a portrait of ourselves that mainly was not painted through music mm-hmm. and maybe perhaps is now portraits of individuals that in whatever new world order we're entering into coming out of this crisis, maybe is our portraits of the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not trying to make this uh, podcast like a, I don't want to make this like a full out eulogy, although like that's how I'm personally feeling right now saying these things. But I, I do think that that's like one of the reasons why we want to talk about them and why it's sort of hitting us so hard right now. Um, so they signed to Atlantic. They released two different, two, two albums, a self-titled in uh, 96 and a album that is underrated and quite good called Utopia Parkway in 99. Both are awesome. They're both quite good. Neither of them sold very well or charted particularly well. Um, but they did have a dedicated fan base of, I would say, a little geekos. <laughs> so I would say listen to this music. Um, I personally have no memory of how I got into this band. Uh, they've been a part of the way I've listened to, you know, what I think about music since since Utopia Parkway in 99, I remember buying it. I have no idea why I bought it, maybe because of the connection to that thing you do. It's one of the bands where we talk about how do you get into this band? You know, why do you like them? It's one that I just, I just have no memory of why I started <laughs> listening to them and becoming a fan, but they, 
really did consume me in my early 20s. I listened to them a lot. Uh, Joe, do you remember how you got into these guys? I, I actually, I, it's so funny because uh, as you were saying that, I was thinking that really, that really relates to how I relate to the band as a whole, mm-hmm. which is, you know, this really ubiquitous sound of suburban turn of the millennium right Mm -hmm. that like for me it's this sound of like peacetime enjoyment and dissatisfaction married in the exact same moment the like the the cynicism that everybody had Uh uh in in sort of suburban life at that point but at the same time the like quasi contentment but discontent at the same time and so when i think of sort of the idea of not being able to place where you heard them, that sounds right to me. Because to me, they're just like woven in the fabric of like the turn of the money. And and sort of like you said, like, I'm not trying to make this bigger than it is. (laughs) Um, But I think I was saying something similar when I was talking to a friend of mine about how hard this loss hit me. That for me, I think the experience of this music, I honestly can't remember if I was listening to this in like high school and college, I think I was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to me, like, I'm like, of course I was. This is the sound of that time. Mm. But I know that once I heard them, I felt like I'd always heard them. Mm. And that they were sort of the quintessential sound of that time frame. And also um, it hit me so hard because because it encapsulates, like you said, I think a life that A is kind of gone just because there's something a little bit um, adolescent about that experience for me. Yep. Um, and so just time-wise, life-wise, that's gone. But also I think, you know, we live in a very different world. We live in a very different world. Not that there aren't suburbs and like people who go in small cars to small jobs, you know, like, and in a sense, you could call Fountains of Wayne, like, the office, the band, or like, (laughs) you know, office space, the band, you know, Mm -hmm. like, that it sort of encapsulates that sense of humor, but also mundane stuff at the same time. Um, But yeah, I, I do think it was kind of really, really woven. I know that I started listening to it a lot more uh, when uh, a guy I was dating started putting some of those songs on some playlists for me. Um, <laughs> That'll do it. I, I know that wasn't when I started listening to it, but I know that it became really associated with that for me. Yeah. And that sounds right too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I I think just to speak about you talking about it being Office Space, the band or the Office, the band, I think that it was part of a, a general cultural movement that we might be in retrospect able to sort of see a little more clearly. Mm-hmm. And what I would say is it's sort of these like artists that are on the tail end of generation X mm-hmm. who certainly have the space and the privilege to be thinking about their place in like the general structure of society, mm-hmm. but that their place was a, a place of downward mobility. And now we're mm-hmm. seeing that. Uh, we we get that now. We get what happened. We you know the, this is this album was recorded before the financial crisis of two thousand eight two thousand nine, but you know we knew that there was a ball that was going to drop, and we knew that we were going to really have to redefine what was important to us. 
when work was no longer satisfying and, you know, professional life perhaps no longer did it for you. So like, what, what can you celebrate about your life? And I think that uh, all three of those examples, this band and those two projects that have office in the title (laughs) are, are all about, you know, well, what can you find in your life to enjoy when that sort of thing is happening to you? That's difficult. And it's sort of about the small things and it's about the relationships that you forge as that's happening to you, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think it's interesting too, because I think there was such a commitment to the artifice at that point in time that it was this tail end of Gen X and and people were really trying to commit to like the suburban bit, you know, like, no, this is, this is going to hold on, but the tech bubble had burst and 9-11 had happened. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there, we hadn't hit the financial crash of 2008, but there were, like you said, like all of the signs were there. It was very clear that things weren't okay. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, lots of, lots of international conflict that was just kept on getting swept under the rug in a lot of ways that people were not, people were not unaware of. They were getting fed up with. Um, And I think you're right that people started looking for the other ways to connect. But in the meantime, there was a lot of sort of like grasping at that normalcy. Yeah. Uh, 100% agreed, uh, a grasp towards normalcy. I don't think that Fountains of Wayne, if you were to chat about it with any of those members of the band, would say that that wasn't what they were attempting to do with the, with this project. Uh, so they were dropped by Atlantic due to shitty sales. Dummies. Yeah, well, yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, but those first two albums definitely have like a grunge rock sheen to them Mm. that perhaps didn't suit them as well as some of their later projects. Uh, And then for a while, they kind of floundered. Collingwood in particular was feeling very disillusioned by the whole experience. He felt he had put in a lot of work and nothing had happened for him, you know, with the work after two consistent years of touring. Um, They got back together very briefly to record a cover of the Kinks song, Better Things, which they performed right after 9-11 on Conan mm-hmm. and was sort of a big deal for them. And then Schlesinger wanted to record a new album and Collingwood was like, why? Why are we still doing this? <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. And Schlesinger was like, let's get back to the studio. Let's do what we do. So they were trying to sign with another label. They were having talks and all the other labels wanted demos from them. Schlesinger found that process demeaning. He didn't want to record demos. He thought he was in a stage in his career where he didn't need to do that anymore. So what did he do? He did something pretty ballsy. He put a whole bunch of his own money into recording this album with no major label support behind him. They rented out a studio in upstate New York. They basically had to assemble the studio from scratch. Uh, They self-produced the record. And what ended up happening is the more sort of crunchy, uh, I would say like alterna rock feelings of the first two albums were sort of done away with. And instead, I would say that, you know, we're talking about them trying to, this whole generation trying to hold on to that sort of suburban life. This is a band trying to hold on to pop musical traditions that were being done away with left, right, and center, 20th century music. Uh, which is one of the reasons why this album fits so well into what we do here at Kick the Jukebox. It's an exploration of 20th century music. And although this album was released in 2001, 
so it's technically not 20th century. It's such a summation of what makes, oh, 2003? I think it's 2003, yeah. Sorry, my yeah, bad, my bad, sorry, sorry. That's right, sorry, sorry, they recorded the better things in 2001. Uh, so yeah, so all this album was released in 2003. They, um, you know, this is sort of a songbook that is uh, a summation of what they liked about radio hits from the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and that's, I think, a great, seg- you know, we can talk about, let's talk about the first song, uh, Hey Julie, from the album Welcome Interstate Managers. Uh, let's give it a little <sighs> listen. Such a good song. Working all day for a mean little man With a clip on tie and a rub on tan He's got me running around the office like a dog around a track But when I get back home you're always there to rub my back Hey Julie, look what they're doing to me Trying to trip me up, trying to wear me down Julie, I swear it's so hard to bear it And I'd never make it through without you around No, I'd never make it through without you around All right, very, very nice. (laughs) (laughs) So this song is really... This song's interesting because this is, I think, a small song for a small person. But (laughs) I think it's about some pretty big ideas. So musically, it's like really simple arrangement wise we've just got a really nice acoustic guitar strum going on got some very simple percussion on it and a really sweet beautiful uh keyboard line in there as well yeah and and some and some you know some shakers (laughs) we got some shakers in there yeah twisty it sounds like they're playing a bop it it's like yeah What's what? What are those called? The twisty, the twisty bead instrument. I don't know what that's called. I should know oh, that, the answer to this. That, that yeah, I mean yeah, that's definitely on this track too. <laughs> so, Pitchfork when they reviewed this album, <laughs> a few things that they called it. They called it naive. They called it sugary. They gave it an overall uh, positive review, but they said I don't think sugary is bad. I think yeah, yeah but they said that too much sugar is bad for you. You know, which oh, okay. is a real. Which is I think that, that, that that's uh, I, the opposite of your taste. Yeah, I think that that's definitely the opposite of your taste, and also just proves not to be true. It's just mm-hmm. wrong. But it's it, it it's definitely a culture trying to a music criticism culture trying to understand that like heavy doesn't always equal good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, well, I think they were just coming out of that, and I think that's kind of the pressure they were under with their first two albums of like, yep, we can't be pussies, or no one will think we're cool. Yeah, we need to be macho. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Yeah, and this album is also yeah, it's definitely a re, it's a it's a look at masculinity in a really through different lens than mm-hmm. the first two records are for sure. Mm-hmm. So this is a song, you know, Schlesinger, Schlesinger said that he would often write based around characters he wanted to write small short stories about. He said that he would often conceive of the character first or conceive of a line first and then build a story around the line that he wanted. Sometimes he would name his character, you know, halfway through his songwriting process. Um, I learned this all from a beautiful op-ed I read today that he wrote for the New York Times that was about his songwriting process. 
that he wrote in 2013 that I highly recommend. It's really cool. And I was mm. really happy to find it. It's also where I found his songwriting credits. Uh, mm -hmm. It's where he like breaks down whose songs are what on this album specifically. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, nice. thank you for this because otherwise <laughs> it's actually really hard to find that information. So this is really them at their most direct and it's like clearly about a uh, low paid office worker who's like in somewhat of an abusive work environment. Uh, but he has, you know, his probably his girlfriend to look forward to when he gets home in the very lovely and charming music video for this song. It's his dog, which is great. Julius's <laughs> dog. However, I don't believe that dogs can really give back rubs. So I believe that that was <laughs> done. It, you know, that's something hey, they decided Louis. post the hey, song Louis. being written. Hmm? Don't poke holes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Let us have this. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I think this is a good in introductory song. Yeah, we can we can all have this. It's totally true. I I think that this is a good introductory song for them because it's so direct and so much about uh such a such a meaningless character who normally wouldn't have a song written about him. Yeah, and I think that's kind of um yeah, peppered throughout the album and definitely Schlesinger's work and um yeah i mean it's like he's like obsessed with mediocrity in a in a uh in a in a way that's really unique even i think within the zeitgeist that we kind of talked about earlier is especially among songwriters um you know you, you usually like even like a john prine who is like an incredible songwriter uh, i mean he's kind of um does these like character studies of people who um, maybe society doesn't pay them enough attention, but their lives are really tragic and compelling in a way that maybe you might see in like a movie or on TV. But um, like, I think in the nineties and early two thousands, I kind of started delving into this, but not as much in songwriting is just like a real deep study of like mediocrity. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Sure. Although, uh, the next song we're going to cover, which we should listen to, is a song that does take stories about small people and really blow them up into like a, sort of a huge, it feels like a huge, you know, pop, power pop cinematic kind of mm -hmm. masterpiece. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's really interesting uh, talking about, I mean, I, I know we already talked about sort of like what was at the top of the charts when iTunes happened and everything, but I think it's really interesting talking about them coming out of the grunge era, trying to fit in with the grunge era, you know, going into the early 2000s and, and like you said, like accepting sort of the popness of it. I mean, when you think about what pop sounded like at the time, you've got like uh, Fall Out Boy's starting to hit, you know, yeah. like Avril Lavigne has an album out. Uh, Joe Bros. You know, yeah, Joe Bros for sure. Uh, I already mentioned Dido, which is not particularly like hard. Well, he had the but, pop like, punk thing too happening, like uh, Blink One Eighty Two, and well, the pop punk thing was like starting to morph into like the pop emo sure. thing that was yeah, going right. to happen. The, right. the like the the punk pop 
like uh but specifically that like very dark swoopy hair version of yes yes you know yes, not yeah. not 90s yeah. green day we're yes, talking for like sure. alkaline trio and stuff like yes that, yes right? yeah, which kyle and doesn't so, know a thing about no. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so like you think about i don't know just the idea of I think this particular song is really the office, the band, you know, yes. like, mm-hmm. you're talking about someone who's just like, I'm going and doing this mundane thing, but we keep on talking about them sort of like addressing mediocrity. And in some way it's, it's gotta be like it, they are accepting how unpleasant it is, but in some way there's a little bit, maybe it's my own, nostalgic rose tinted glasses looking back at a time that was very frustrating but there's got to be some love for the mediocrity in a sense but I it's think a little it's, bit of a love letter as I, much as it is a frustration i think mm-hmm. the i think the mediocrity is uh, it's actually a rebuke of societal mediocrity and as i said before i think it's a recontextualization of values clearly this job this dude has to work is nothing but awful for him However, what's really important to him is this relationship that he has with this with this girlfriend. Let's just call her a girlfriend and not maybe a adorable dog. <laughs> but Okay, I I want to weigh on that too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that's that that's you know, and that's so much of what all the songs are about is is that there's uh, you know, this this quietness to their day-to-day lives, but there's these big feelings being explored uh, in the subtext. Yeah, and I think what's coming through there is that it doesn't feel um, condescending or dismissive of that in a way that maybe a lot of other people addressing these addressing these same themes can kind of come across. Definitely, definitely. Or and even like to compare him to like David Byrne, which you know wrote, write, writes a lot about like quote unquote simple people. There's like a element to David Byrne's writing that's very removed. You know, like there's he has that uh, line in the song, The Big Country, I, I wouldn't live there if you paid me to, which <laughs> I think is such a different viewpoint on suburban life or even, you know, like, you know, another big sort of musical temple for me, like something like Pleasant Valley Sunday, mm-hmm. which is just beginning to explore, you know, um, the mediocrity of living in the suburbs. This is this is really this embracing of like, well, this is the reality. What are, what's the beauty in in this? You know, <laughs> in a very yeah. different way. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and to your and to your point, he he doesn't. Whatever his opinion about it is, he doesn't remove himself from it. He puts himself mm. in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I would just like to speak to this dog issue real quick, sure. <laughs> if I may. As a, I, I mean, I think we all, but but as somebody who's done a lot of like writing songs and then trying to fudge it a little bit yeah like um you know mixing and matching tales of lover woes you know and trying to not put one particular person on blast or another yeah totally it's like subtweeting but through songs (laughs) (laughs) but i think but i think what what is what is um really great about adam schlesinger is that he is a songwriter songwriter right he had Mm -hmm. incredible success like we talked about doing all of these jobs, you know, he was able, he was getting assigned, you know, specs for a song that he had to write for sync or, or licensing or whatever. He'd crank it out. He, he'd succeed at it. You know, he, he cranked out the song for um, that thing you do and, and like didn't even think necessarily it was going to be anything, you know, they were waiting for a while and, and then it worked because 
um, because he was good at sort of taking the heart of the story and turning it into the right story, mm-hmm. taking the heart of the story and turning it into the signed story. And I think when you're writing a pop song for a bunch of people, even if it's really about a dog, you make it about a girl. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's totally so fair. I love the idea that he absolutely wrote this for his dog, 100%. <laughs> and then he was like, okay, how do I make this the actual radio hit? And yeah, Mike was like, all right, now, now, now I'll... I'll yeah, and that happens, you know, like, uh, you know, Paul McCartney wrote Martha, My Dear, about his sheepdog. So certainly, <laughs> certainly it happens. All, all I'm saying is I'm 100% on board with Julie being the pepper <laughs> yeah. to a lady. Yeah, you can nice... even imagine this is a, a frog prince situation. Oh, that's nice. So I want to, no, no, it is. It's genuinely nice. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to write it off at all. It's, it's just that silly. now I want to take some of those small concepts that he deals with in Hey Julie and like, blow them out in this huge, wonderful way. So uh, let's um, start listening to Mexican wine. Um, And let's give a little listen, and then we're going to talk about the, the album opener, Mexican wine. He was killed by a cellular phone explosion. They scattered his ashes across the ocean. The water was used to make baby lotion. We're set into motion, but the sun still shines in the summertime. I'll be yours if you'll be mine. I tried to change, but I changed my mind. Think I'll have another glass of Mexican wine. So that was Mexican wine. Uh, Joe, this was your pick. Why Why did you choose that one? Uh, I picked it because I absolutely love the way it sets the stage. Um, I think you 100% know the album that you're getting into when you listen to this. Mm-hmm. It visits three different characters. He owns it personally in the last verse. You have that uh, really uh, time period specific irony woven in. You have the earnestness that he weaves in. You have that classic Fountains of Wayne sort of like um, undercutting your expectations. One of the things that I love about the way Schlesinger writes and Fountains of Wayne, you know, Collingwood as well, is that they are pop songwriters who write what sound like really formulaic, straightforward pop songs. But if you dive into the chord structures, they are deceptively complex, uh, very original, very, um, like, simultaneously predictable and not at all. And uh, and I think that's one of the things that happens when you start off in this song that is huge, but you start off really quiet, you think yeah. it's about to blow up, and instead it gets quieter. It goes to that sort of harpsichord chorus, mm-hmm. which it continues to do throughout the song for a while. And it's not until after that that you get the little yelp and then the big drop, <laughs> you know? And it's just such a wonderful um, just stage setting, 
party energy. For me, this album is windows down, volume up, road trip album. To me, this is the quintessential middle American road trip album. And mm-hmm. this song sets the stage for that so perfectly. Yeah, and and the subjects are once again sort of small, tragic people. And it, it, you can look at it as being that the, the, the viewpoint is somewhat ironic or, or detached, but also there is a lot of love there for these guys. Absolutely. I think this is the, the song, um, maybe, you know, uh, everybody complains about Alanis's use of the term ironic, and maybe this is the song she meant to write, you know, like, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I love, I love that album, who doesn't? But um, I think it's it's just a really great, Again, it's setting the tone, you know, you have this like huge thing happening. Dude's phone blows up. Yeah, his phone mm-hmm. explodes. It's a cellular phone explosion. A cellular phone. It's so 2003, his fucking phone um, explodes and he dies. <laughs> like, Jesus. And that being a fear. <laughs> yeah. But then it goes immediately from this like huge line to then they scattered the ashes. So the line is like explosion and then it's over. That's right. right. And then it goes to this sort of like humorous line when water was used to make baby lotion, which is like also mundane, but also like they're clearly trying to like weave some humor into the mm-hmm. mundane and then say the wheels of promotion were set into motion. So, so we get back into the office space. Someone else is getting promoted after he dies. Like in that first verse, you already know not just the whole album, but what 2003 was like for a certain group of people. Right. Yeah. And, and then, sorry, Louis. Oh, just, just, I would argue that that line, the wheels of promotion, which I think is so interesting being the third yeah. line of the whole album, you can look at it as somebody's getting a promotion because that guy died. But yeah. I, I've always interpreted it to be that the wheels of promotion were set into motion to basically commercialize this man's body. That uh... the promotion is for the, the, the baby lotion, you know? But yeah. like, and that in itself is really interesting that like our, our entire beings, our bodies are really just uh, a sacrifice at the altar of, of capitalism, you know? Sure. Yeah. And, and then I think, I think you, you continue to get that, uh, that like sacrifice for capitalism, you know, the lady leaves her pills in the car and, and that's when things go south. Yeah, and she dies, yeah. She dies. And she lives across the street from the health department, but it doesn't save her. It can't save her. Right. Yeah. And then and then it takes this interesting turn where the character that he owns and puts in the first person yeah. gets fired from working at the airlines. Um, and Because he's reading like, a marijuana <laughs> periodical. Right. <laughs> High times, right. yes. <laughs> but... But then he retires. Yep. Like, he doesn't die. He retires. And Collingwood sings, and I think that's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And again, I think we have that, like, roller coaster of, like, you know, huge to mundane. And we have that summed up in this wonderful chorus of, and the sun still shines in the summertime. I'll be yours if you'll be mine. I tried to change but I changed my mind, which is the most Gen, S- Gen X ass line I've ever heard in my life. Truth. Um, I think I'll have another glass of Mexican wine. Yeah. Uh, where, where your song was the office, I mean, office space, the, the song, I think maybe this is Gen X, the song. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. This is sort of, this is almost in the same school as like the Wes Anderson style of filmmaking, sort of that yeah. removed. I, I also would say that one of the big theses of this song that is a hard pill to swallow, and this might just be something that's been on my mind a lot lately due to what's going on in the world, is that like, we may live or we may die, but the sun will still rise. It will still be hot in the summer. You know, the world will continue with or without us. And that is a difficult thing to realize because we're all such, you know, myopic narcissistic beings. (laughs) But if you can accept that, that is a very comforting thing to, that's a comforting thing to realize as well. Um, And that, that is a pretty cool philosophical take to have in a song that's like opens this album that that a lot of people, you know, including that pitchfork review from, you know, from when it was released, they sort of look at this album as being a little silly. Uh, You know, Stacy's mom being called a novelty song. But if you look at through sort of that lens of sympathy, maybe, maybe they're not novelty songs. Maybe they're songs about really some, some smart, songwriters entering middle age and trying to put it all together you know i'd just like to note in that same pitchfork review that you referenced um they they acknowledge mexican wine as like the hard-hitting like lead-off single mm-hmm. and then yeah. they're like and then stacy's mom tries to keep up but like it's fine like, <laughs> like <laughs> swing and a miss pitchfork yeah the, the world was apparently more ready for stacy's mom than for mexican wine <laughs> yeah oh so the final song we're going to talk about uh, is called All Kinds of Time. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll listen to it in just a sec. And I think it sort of solidifies everything we've been talking about, about kind of this band's ethos and where they're writing from. But there's there's just so many other good songs on the album that I just want to shout out a few of them. Uh, Valley Winter Song, which I think is incredibly beautiful. And then um, I was going to choose this one, and I'm like glad I didn't because I don't know if I could really talk about it without just getting very emotional is the song Hackensack. Are you going to say Hackensack? Yeah, which is just so (laughs) quiet. And it's just about a guy who's stuck in a shitty job for his dad, still lusting after, maybe in love with a movie star who's out in LA that he went to high school with. And it's just like quiet and the orchestration on it is just like nice and, and tight and simple and there's just so much longing in it um and in the track listing it comes right after stacy's mom so (laughs) uh, i mean if you're gonna yeah i think they were kind of trying to say something there i think you're right i totally (laughs) think you're right about that uh katie perry did a beautiful cover of hack and sack i was Uh, about to shout that out yeah it's it's really wonderful look it up on youtube um Actually, if I can plug something too, I, I don't know if you have a way to link uh, stuff, Louie. I'd love to read that op-ed that you read of his. Um, but there is, if you, do, I don't know if you're familiar with the podcast Soda Jerker on songwriting. There's these two guys from the UK who interview a lot of really notable songwriters. Um, and they have an episode where they interviewed Adam Schlesinger. Great. Um, and it's really, really cool. He does talk about writing Stacy's Mom. He does talk about Hackensack. Um, and talks about sort of like thinking it wasn't that melancholy until they put the music on it. Yeah. <laughs> so he like tried it with a few different styles of music. So, yep, 
Definitely. I um, highly recommend that episode. Check out our website, www.kickthechewpox.com, because this is the moment where I'm going to introduce a blog section so that we can annotate the episode, which is totally easy and cool and fun. And those links will be up there for you to see. Wonderful. So let's, let's just do a little bit of all kinds of time. Uh, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, the greatest song about football ever written. <laughs> Here is all kinds of time. The clock's running down. The team's losing crowd. Young quarterback waits for the snap when suddenly it all starts to make sense. He's got all kinds of time, he's got all kinds of time, all kinds of time. He's got all kinds of time, all kinds of time. So Kyle, why do you want to talk about this one? Because football's fucking sick. I know you love football, <laughs> and this is actually nice. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's one, I mean, I I actually am a big football fan. Yeah. Um, but I think that's also why I was, like, shocked that um, it wasn't, like, cringy, you know? Like, yep. you hear, like, it's a song about football, Um just the, the 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 fact that he managed to make it like really sweet. Um, I would call this song like really sweet, um, and not have it be, you know, cringy or corny is kind of amazing. Um, but what also, I mean, what also is like fun about this song is that I think musically, you know, this pretty much is the story of like a hero quarterback uh, in making like a big play in a game, and it kind of the the song kind of crescendos throughout it just continuously builds and builds and gets bigger and bigger and bigger which i thought was really cool um but i thought that i mean what what i kind of love about this song and about adam schlesinger's songwriting that maybe we haven't talked about is like when he writes a song it's about what it's about you know what i mean um like which i kind of really love in songwriting i mean he's extremely direct um it's, uh, you know, um, it's like really specific, it's unambiguous, it's totally sincere. Uh, and I think that's kind of a, a style of, of lyric writing that you, you don't get a lot. Like, um, I mean, one of my favorite um, songs is the Who song, Forest the Spider, which is literally just about a spider falling around it's not about it's not a metaphor it's not it's just about a spider and i think in this way it's this is like it's not really it didn't feel to me like a metaphor i think it's literally about a hero quarterback um also i i i you know i don't know for sure but i kind of put myself into adam schlesinger's head and just hearing what he's kind of talked about songwriting is that phrase all kinds of time it's kind of a beautiful phrase but it's one it's a, it's kind of a, like if you watch football, it's like a common phrase that they would say for a quarterback who has like a lot of time to throw. Like they'd be like, oh, he's got all kinds of time back there. And like, it's not, <laughs> it's not a phrase that like, 
what if you watch football or not, it's like I think you have to have like a really attuned ear to like a great English phrase to pick up on the fact that that's kind of a beautiful that is that is kind of a beautiful phrase and the fact I imagine when he wrote that song he was probably watching a football game I don't know if he's into football or not but I think he kind of latched onto that phrase and kind of uh, kind of went off from there that's how I kind of imagine I can confirm that he was inspired to write the song because of the phrase because that's really? also from that op-ed. Yeah, oh, so you got it, it right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then he was like, oh, I should write a song about a football player. That's interesting. <laughs> yes, nailed and it. And I would also argue that using that sort of phrase that we consider throwaway or kind of like base, you know, simplistic culture and elevating it in this way is sort of what we're talking about with this entire album, right? right? Is mm-hmm. that it's about the suburbs. It's about certain subjects that would be considered beneath the interest of true artists, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Know what I'm saying? But then in the same way, I think that's the sign of a great artist. I think like a David Byrne kind of does this or like even like a John Waters is like, you know, uh, I'm just thinking of like artists who like latch onto a particular uh, culture, you know, element of culture or a particular turn of phrase that maybe everyone else thinks is mundane or would never notice or you know i think that's like the sign of a true artist is to like find beauty in something so um that other people don't even realize don't yeah for yeah. for for schlesinger it's all kinds of time and for john waters it's hair hopper <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think i think this song uh which i will continue my trend with and call friday night lights the song um, <laughs> yes. Is, yes yes you know I do think that there is a lot more identifiable beauty. You know, I made that joke, but, you know, Friday Night Lights is an epic and well-loved show, right? So it is a topic that other people find drama and art Mm -hmm. in, but Mm -hmm. he finds the drama and art in, like, the simple emotion at the core of it. What Adam Mm -hmm. Schlesinger does really well here is distills this thing into a really relatable... um, moment of like beauty and heartbreak and um and joy and like all of it in a in a really he doesn't have to have a bazillion seasons of you know coach taylor he's just there he's just there in that moment and like you said it's about what it's about but what it's about is a literal football game and what a literal football game is about is your sense of identity your sense of accomplishment your sense of success and projected success in the future Mm -hmm. and so there are layers built in to any and every human experience and i think that's something that artistically he expresses so flawlessly is that like to look at a literal experience to look at a simple experience and uncover the multitude the the myriad layers and um and colors involved in it is is just a a deep deep well worth mining every time yeah he takes it from the realm of the banal which is how we're supposed to look at a football game and sort of makes it into uh, puts into the realm of the spiritual of the spiritual of the spiritual (laughs) and i think that's that's really an, an incredible feat for this song yeah. Yeah. And I think he, I think that's what's so beautiful about it is like he, he writes so plainly and I mean that in the best sense, but he's able to convey such like depth where I think a lot of other lyric writers and songwriters 
as maybe good musically as they are, when they write lyrics, it's usually the other sound in that they take up what they probably think of as a very uh, simple um, concept and then they try to make it like too overwrought and it like comes through very obviously. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Absolutely. So in this op-ed that he wrote, he says that this song was used uh, by the NFL uh, to make a montage of slow motion football scenes. And he said that he was never happier because it meant that what he was trying to convey through the song came out, uh, which is, I think, just really cool. And, and, you know, that he was able to express what he was feeling about this sport to other people that got it. And that's very cool. And next time you watch a football game, listen for the phrase all the time. It's not a phrase. I didn't even think of it as a football phrase until he said it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that is something they say. Yeah, that's something they say all the time. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, my only question is, when you guys listen to this song, yeah. I, don't, I don't know about you, but I'm looking back at the lyrics now. Mm-hmm. And I'm realizing that it is not explicitly about a high school football star. But no, he's just head, described as the young quarterback. That's right. Yeah, he's the young quarterback. But in my head, it is absolutely a high school, small town football game. And I'm curious if you guys have the same experience or if you have a completely different experience of this. I think that there's just something really quiet and quaint about the way the lyrics unfold that make us think that it's a small town football game. But he does not specify it, which is so interesting. And it also, I think... You know, this might be reading it a little too much, but it also shows that I don't know necessarily how much the game changes for people who are really playing it, depending on what league they're playing in or what strata or level they're playing at. That maybe a a small town game for a talented quarterback is really similar in the way that they would approach it to a giant NFL game, you know? Well, and I think, yeah, and I think, uh, I think it's a testament to his songwriting that I think we all kind of had the same image in our head. And I think if we asked, you know, a hundred more people, they'd probably have the same image in their head, but he didn't need to say it outright. And I think that's kind of a testament to him. Yeah. The, the only thing that makes me think just storytelling wise, that it is a larger game or maybe an NFL game maybe. is that the family is watching the, sh- the, it on a, t- on a television. But you get, and- you get one of those big football towns. Yep. They, they broadcast that shit. Two things, two, a little argument here about this. Totally. <laughs> However, 2003 Lyric, they're watching it on a widescreen TV. I wonder if that football player bought the television for his family with his newfound income from being a professional ball player. Joe says no. Joe's ready to, <laughs> Joe has a rebuttal plan. I, I can I'm tell. ready. I'm ready. Well, and I, and I want to back up because I think, I think for me, the reason this is a small town, uh, high school specifically football player is that telling the story of his like wedding in the future to me is a story about um to reference a little more jersey like a glory days style Mm -hmm. sort of thing where it's Mm -hmm. like he this this was the pinnacle of his life and when it says he thinks of his mother he thinks of his bride-to-be he thinks of his father's two younger brothers gathered around the widescreen tv i don't think that's happening I, see. I think that's in the moment where he's got the ball back. He is projecting himself into playing for the NFL. It is dreams of the future. It is dreams of a big life. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the like double meaning of all kind of time thing happening there. Yep. That like he has nothing but possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we don't really know. I mean, it kind of looks like, uh, 
like things worked out for him uh, with the bride to be kind of thing. But we we don't really know. We just know that he plays this game. Yeah, a song that exists within uh, the structure of the mind and thoughts and beyond the realms of time. There's no beginning and there is no end. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. No, but seriously, you know, I wrote this in my notes, but I feel like we already covered it. But like, just like, just to put a button on this, I feel like this is um, uh, football as spiritual exercise. And that means that there's a timelessness to the, to, to the story being told, you know, and a sort yeah. of and a metaphysical nature about it. Yeah. Oh, so cool. Yeah. So yeah. Fountains of Wayne. Um, welcome to interstate managers. Any, any closing thoughts? I mean, I feel like we really, we really got into the nitty gritty and covered it, uh, which is amazing. I think that, I hope that this serves to be a, maybe a tribute to, to Schlesinger's genius that might be a little different from the other stuff everybody's been reading or hearing this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you take one thing away, I had never listened. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for picking this album. Cause I might've picked one of the first two albums, which I love. Yeah. Um, and I think I always ignored this album because as I mentioned, you know, Stacy's mom hit me at the exact wrong time. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so I, I thank you, uh, both for, um, for, uh, pushing me to dive deeper into this great album. Awesome. Uh, my only final things is I, I wanted to share the fun fact that I had learned, which is that uh, he was such a Beatles obsessive as a youngin that for a little while he thought they were the only band. <laughs> um, and also that his big collaborator on That Thing You Do was Mike Viola, um, who also worked on Walk Hard and Get Him to the Greek. Sure. Uh, so it's just, you know, that little incestuous, wonderful world of music is just so great. And I'm so grateful to have this album in my life and, and, and the band as a whole. And, uh, and also Tinted Windows, which we didn't mention. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Tinted Windows is just awesome. <laughs> I, well, I want to quickly say, I had obviously, I had never heard of them before um, Adam Schlesinger died. But that song, Messing With My Head, is like, that's up there for me now forever. That yep. is such a good song. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, uh, Tinted Windows was a super group that formed with uh, Schlesinger and one of the members of Smashing Pumpkins and one of the Hanson brothers. Yes, yes. Taylor Hanson um, on lead vocals. Yep. And, and the drummer was Bun E. Carlos from Cheap Trick. Yeah, yeah which is yes, such a great yes. group of people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> amazing yeah massive massive power pop record Mm -hmm. um yeah uh one more little story about him that i think encapsulates i think kind of what a weird special smart dude he was i just read this on um uh andrew sandoval's facebook page this week andrew sandoval is the monkeys tour manager and one of their producers Schlesinger produced the last monkeys, the last two monkeys records, including Good Times, which I highly recommend. Uh, they recorded this gorgeous song written by Ben Gibbard, "Me and Magdalena," which is a beautiful song. And after Mike Nesmith was done recording, Nesmith said to Schlesinger, "Do you need anything else from me?" And Schlesinger said back, "Unless you want to drop down a verse of Rapper's Delight, I think we're done." <laughs> 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 oh that's great i think that's a great way to end uh end end our chat about him today 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, this has been Kick the Jukebox. Joe, thanks again for joining us. This has been great. Thank you, hey, thank you. so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Yeah, it's really been a it's it. been a blast, and it's been sad, but it's also been really uplifting as well. In my, for yeah. me at least. Uh, com. Please check her out. She's a really incredible songwriter in her own right. And uh, I think um, you can hear the Schlesinger influence. Uh, there's a lot of uh, the human in what Joe writes. Uh, you could check out kickthejukebox.com for back episodes. We're also available on all the social media. Just look it up on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, yeah, and Kyle... Kyle's been doing some really great Instagram live shows. <laughs> so check definitely out. check those out as well. Um, my Venmo is at Louis4711. If you want to throw us a few bucks for producing the podcast, Kyle, what's your Venmo? My name, my Venmo is Kyle-Gordon-2. Joe, what's your Venmo? It is Joe-Kroger. <laughs> Wonderful. All right, everybody hang in there. Uh, We will be back next week and we will see. Oh, oh my God, I almost forgot. (laughs) We will see around like a record, but we wanted to leave you with just a a clip from this song by Robbie Folks. He's a country uh, songwriter, singer, and he loved Fountains of Wayne very much. So he wrote a song called Fountains of Wayne Hotline that started as a bit. It is really a wonderful statement on how great Fountains of Wayne were and um, why they were so influential and so many good songwriters. So we leave you with that. This has been Kick the Jukebox. See you around like a record. I hum a shingle country music for hire. No fans, no singles, ten years later I'm tired Now I've wrecked my brain and I've looked all around But I can't find a way to freshen my sound And now who do you call when you're down to one musical dime? Fountains of Wayne Hotline Fountains of Wayne Hotline. Gerald speaking. How can I help you? Oh, yeah, thanks. Uh, hello. Um, yeah, I'm a country singer in a, a small Midwestern town, and uh, I'm here in the studio today. Uh, let me explain. Uh, we're working on a track, and uh, we, we just, did a, just did a verse. It was kind of broken down, and at this point, I'm not sure where to take it, where to sure, go from here. Sure, sure. Calm down. We yeah. can help you. We okay. can help you. Okay. What you need to do now is employ the radical dynamic shift. The... The radical, yes, um, what, what do you mean by that? You know, full band entry, fortissimo, while maintaining consistent apparent volume on the vocal track. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. We're always here. It's such a drag to face another filthy stage. Talking about music all the time. Oh, yeah!